Hi, everyone. You're listening to Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm your host, Carrie Diamond, coming to you from Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center in the heart of New York City. Each week, we feature interviews with the coolest culinary personalities around. We have two exceptional individuals joining us today, Chef Jimmy Lee Hill and executive producer Desiree Vincent Levy of the documentary Cold Water Kitchen. Chef Hill is the executive chef instructor at Lakeland Correctional Facility in Cold Water, Michigan. Chef Hill has run the food tech program there for more than three decades, helping thousands of men at Lakeland learn about cooking, fine dining, and hospitality, and gain crucial job skills in the process. But more importantly, Chef Hill serves as a lifeline for these men inside the prison system. Coldwater Kitchen follows Chef Hill and some of his students over the course of four years. The film made its debut last week as part of Doc NYC, the documentary film festival. Chef Hill and Desiree will join us in just a minute to tell us more. If you are a new listener or a longtime fan of Radio Cherry Bomb, I'd love for you to subscribe to our free newsletter. You'll get our Friday email and be able to stay on top of all Radio Cherry Bomb guests, news, and special episodes, like our new baking miniseries, She's My Cherry Pie, hosted by Jesse Sheehan. I hope you all check that out this past weekend. Head to cherrybomb.com to sign up for our newsletter. And while you're there, check out the new issue of Cherry Bomb Magazine. It's our 20th issue, and the theme is heart and hospitality. You can order a copy of our print magazine from our website or from your favorite bookstore or culinary specialty shop. Now, let's check in with today's guests. Chef Jimmy Lee Hill, Desiree Vincent Levy, welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you thank for you. having me. I know we pulled this together last minute, so thank you for going with the flow but saw your documentary last night, Cold Water Kitchen, and like everyone in the audience was completely moved. So congratulations on putting this beautiful work out into the world. Thank you. Thank you. Desiree, uh, let's start with you because I'm, you were, are an executive producer of the film. Tell me how the idea for Cold Water Kitchen came about. Ernest, who is featured on screen, and actually Chef might be able to speak better to the origin story of this because it was a series of correspondence between him, Mark Kurlianczyk, who is the co-director, and Ernest, who was one of the students in the program. Um, so I'm actually going to kick that one to Chef. Oh, okay. So yep. it started there. All yes, right. Yes, ma'am. Ernest, Chef Davis, he wrote a letter to, uh, at that time, Mark was a food critic for the Detroit Free Press. And uh, he invited him to come. And so I didn't really know it, about it. Every year I, I, I do this symposium uh, where I invite chefs in to talk to the class. So Mark called me and he said, hey, I'd like to come to this symposium. I'm like, hmm. I mean, I know what food critics do. You know, they come in, <laughs> you know, eat the food, and he'll say, hey, they thought they was cooking, but it was really food loaf. And So I talked to the class, and, and they said, no, we don't know. But the one guy, which is in the movie also, uh, Chef Dink, he said, you know what, Chef, let him come, and we'll, we'll show him what we can do. I called him back and said, yeah, you know, you can come. Because most of my class is from Wayne County anyway, which is where the Detroit Free Press is at. So that's how it it, had, it happened, uh, because of Ernest. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Who gets invited to the symposium? Media folks. Uh, I invite chefs from from the surrounding area. And so what it is, is it's basically we have a all-day it's a, it's a fun day for the class, like the Super Bowl, the, the, the class, because all these chefs are coming in with the chef coats. And, and so we talk about things that chefs look for when, when they hire. 
we talk about dress, the, the dress code and personal hygiene and and what what things uh, that chefs you know like about uh, the people that they're interviewing. And then we we cook them lunch. We we do a uh, like a chop contest between two of the students, and we'll have a you know a chef that two chefs that will you know judge. And then after that, we do uh, we we fix them lunch. And so that particular day, we we did a wild game meal. And Ernest he he did a wild bison roasted bison with uh, purple sweet potatoes and. Uh, there was a, a carrot uh, jus that we had thickened, and and the guy that said, you know, let him do it, which is Chef Dink, he did a, it was a roasted pheasant with a calvado cream sauce, and it was just all these different uh, wow game, you know, the guy that isn't that's in the film that is still, you know, incarcerated, uh, Brad Leonard, he did a a roasted uh, pan-seared rabbit. And so we had all these different uh, items. And so that's done every either first or second Monday of May when I invite these guys in. So now this will be our sixth year coming up. And how was it to have a critic in the room? It was, you know, I didn't, I knew it could go south any time, you know, but once he got the plate, and he looked at the plate and he set it down and you know and he, and he took a picture and he you know he tasted it and i seen his his reactions kind of went mm. and then the next plate and the next it was like a seven course and by 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 four you know he was like that and i was like mm, that's pretty good so after that i think that year was the first monday and so the third, that third week, it's always the uh, restaurant uh, lodging show in Chicago. And so I'm, I'm walking down the aisle in, in, in the McCormick place, and I see this lady pointing. She said, there he goes right there. So I thought I was in the way, so I moved out the way so she could, you know, see who's behind me. And she was like, no, I'm pointing at you. And so it had been released, the article. And she had seen my picture, and I was just walking through the show, and I didn't had I didn't know it was released yet. And so, about two three minutes later, I get this text from uh, from Mark, and he said, "Hey, Chef, I just want you to know we we released the the, the article." And I said, "Yeah, this lady was pointing at me like there he is right there." So that's how I found out that it was uh, it had been released. Now, how did it go from article to documentary? So after it was. It had been hit the paper. Uh, it was like a AP, so it went all over. Oh, they put it out on the wire. So on the wire, and yeah. uh, this uh, company, I think it was a cable company or something in LA. This is how I heard it. That uh, they said, "Hey, you know, we think we might want to do a, a Netflix or something." Like Netflix, and then it went from that to, uh, well, you know, we're, uh, the pre press is going to do this documentary. So I'm thinking, wow, there is no way that the director is going to let those cameras into the facility, you know, because that's like, that's, that's heavy duty. And so when Mark said, I was like, mm, man, ah. And so what he did was he, uh, he talked to some people who talked to some people. I got this call one day. I was laying on the couch, which is probably good because 
you know, he said, Chef, uh, you know, we're going to do this, uh, going to do this documentary. I'm thinking, oh, we go in the parking lot somewhere? And, you know, and he's like, no, you know, they, they okayed it. So that's how it came about. Wow, that's remarkable. Yeah. Desiree, how did you get involved? Yeah, so Mark and Brian, the co-directors, had already been filming for, I want to say, over a year um, before I came onto the project. But um, a mutual friend of mine and Mark's and Chef Hill, actually, James Regato, reached out to me um, and he said, Mark's kind of in the beginning stages of this documentary and they're looking for someone who has a background in working in the criminal justice policy as well as in food and you uniquely occupy both spaces. <laughs> so I just kind of started some conversations from there. Um, talked to James, James connected me with Mark, spoke with Mark and then it uh, spoke with the free press team and then all the legal stuff figured out and then I was signed on to the project. It's been uh, one of the greatest experiences I've had. I knew this was special when it was, the idea was first shared, when I got to understand who Chef Hill was and what he was doing. But just over time, as things have unfolded in, you know, Climax last night with like our first showing, I, I couldn't be more pleased with how, how things are going. You mentioned occupying both spaces. What were you doing at the time? I started my career actually here in New York, and I worked at the Vera Institute of Justice at the Brennan Center for Justice, and I also worked as a reentry mentor at the Women's Prison Association. And then I moved to Detroit, where I worked in communications at the ACLU of Michigan. But while I was in Detroit, I got started in food there initially. Actually, with my husband, we started a scholarship with the Detroit Food Academy for students who wanted to get into food full-time. Uh, most of the scholarships were focused on, like, you know, four-year college degree, but there was an appetite for that. From there, things just kind of snowballed and progressed. And I co-founded an organization with Chef Anthony Lombardo called Detroit Kitchen Terminal, where we are actually working to support people as they transition home from incarceration and to help them transition into careers in food. And so, and then I'm also a board member at the Museum of Food and Drink here in New York. So it's just like a very unique and weird combination of space, but I'm happy to be there because if I were not, <laughs> then I wouldn't, wouldn't have had the opportunity to work on this film. So Chef Hill, I want to go back to how you became involved in this program at Lakeland in the first place. Can you take us back to when you started there and how it came to be? Initially, I, was, I worked for the Department of Corrections in food service. I was a food service supervisor. Basically, you supervise the, the inmates when they're preparing the, deal, the, uh, the meals. And uh, so I started in 1985. I worked there for four years, and I seen this interview or the article about uh, the job opening. And so I took the uh, interview, and, and I got the job. And the job being for the, this culinary yes, program. Mm -hmm. And so it was for the uh, food technology instructor at uh, Coldwater Correctional Facility. So I took the interview and I got the job. I started there November 15th, 89, 1989, which I just had my anniversary date. Uh, so I've been there now for 33 years. So that's how I got there was because I've I seen that uh, job posting. Yeah. And how has the program changed over the years? It is uh, completely totally different. Uh, when I first got there, it was you know, kind of like a couple you know, desks. 
for the students to sit at and in my desk in front. That was it. It was a locker, had some books in it. It's, it's changed immensely since then. I mean, it looks like a restaurant now. Mm-hmm. Well, Take us back a step even further. How did you get into the, the world of food in the first place? Well, I grew up in a, uh, in a food service, so to speak, family. My mother is a dietitian for Muskegon General Hospital in Muskegon, Michigan. And my father, we sold barbecue. You know, everybody sells barbecue. We had this this big garden, and so he would he would uh, prepare stuff to take to the foundries, like you know, fried chicken dinners and barbecue dinners, and and then also because the garden was so big that he would bundle up greens and peas and tomatoes and all things from the garden, and and he would take that down there, and so he would sell the dinners to the guys for lunch. And then they would also buy those bundles of vegetables to take home so their wives could cook dinner. So I was always around food. Every Friday we had a fish fry in our backyard. So we had this big iron cauldron thing, you know, and it was all kind of pan fish and, you know, uh, catfish and green bass and just all kind of fried goodness. And my mother would bring out side dishes out of the the house to eat with it, like salads and different, you know, slaws and things like that. And I thought, man, every time I seen that every Friday, you know, everybody was always happy and things were just great. And I thought, you know, everything was right with the world on Fridays. And I thought, you know, I, I think I'd like to do this. You know, but I was, I don't know, I think I was like eight or something. But every Friday, we, from, from then on, we, we had that. So that's how I got into it, uh, because of my, my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were your first jobs in the industry? When I first got out of college, there's some people that, you know, would hang around our house. Uh, he owned a restaurant. And it was a little, you know, it was about the size of this room here. And so he said, you know, now I'm going to have you come down and, you know, work for me. And I thought, okay, uh, I could do that. And so it was so small. I mean, I, I did a good job with the, with the food. But he said, you know, I just, I, I can't pay you what you're worth. He said, you know, even though people are coming in and there's no place to sit, but, you know, you deserve more than this. You know, it was a mom and pop type place. So that was my first job. But then I, I, uh, I got hired at Denny's Restaurants. I was a cook there. And I cooked for maybe a year and a half. And then I got into the management program. And so they end up, they transferred me from Muskegon to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and from Grand Rapids to Lansing, Michigan, which is where I live at now. And that's how I got to Lansing, because of Denny's Restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so those are my first two food service jobs. And then next thing I knew, I took uh, that interview and got the job for Michigan Department of Corrections. What you do for these men is so remarkable, but what you seem to go through emotionally is equally remarkable. How have you held this job for as long as you have? I had a conversation one time with with my mother. She said, baby, I hope you see on your first job as long as I stayed on mine. I'm like, ma, that's 36 years. Who does that? 
in this past Tuesday, it's 37 years I've been in, in the food service in the Department of Corrections and in the 33 years in the classroom. I don't know. I think it's, it's because of her, mm-hmm. you know, and God's grace because prison is still prison. And there's a lot of different attitudes there and, and you know, a, a whole boatload of emotions. So I'm still there because I think I'm, I think I'm supposed to be there. How do you handle being a lifeline for so many people? I, I wear a lot of hats, I do. I'm a chef, I'm a teacher, a pastor, a, a informational banker type person. But I, I touch on a lot of things because they have a lot of different questions uh, that they want information and answers to. So, you know, I just try to lead them in the right direction, mm-hmm. you know. Can you walk us through what the food tech program is exactly today? You talked about how it's evolved so much to the point where you're, you're all making restaurant quality food in the program. Well, I always, it was my thought always to set it up like a, you know, a restaurant, uh, you know, it's warm colors. And, and, you know, I thought because they're locked up, they should also be able to uh, learn the same information that you get from Johnson and Wales or CIA or whatever culinary school that you attend. And so I always tried to kick it up like, like Emerald. I tried to kick it up a notch, you know, information wise and, and, and food ingredients because I thought that they needed to know how to prepare, you know, high end quality food. And and there's nothing wrong with, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers. But I just wanted them to get the food that would get them in a position to work in a Chef Rigato's, you know, Mabel Gray or sell them, you know, standards or somewhere where they could make a living and, and take care of their families. And so that's why we do the kind of food that we do to make sure that they touch on all of the culinary things that go on out there in, in the world. One of the things, and Desiree, maybe you can talk about this, that is so striking but also heartbreaking about the documentary is Chef Hill's Kitchen is, is a bubble of sorts. And you don't really see what's outside the bubble in the prison. And you just know what's waiting for them outside is awful and ugly. Were you not allowed to film outside the kitchen, or did you make the decision not to film outside the kitchen? From my understanding, there was not permission okay. granted. And I don't know if there's any reason why there would need to be, since the focus and the celebration is on Chef Hill. And something that I really hope comes across is that Chef Hill's program is an exception, but it should be the rule for the types of um, programming that is offered. You know, if we're going to incarcerate people, then we need to offer meaningful opportunities for people to get skills that they can use once they transition back into community because a lot of people are going to be transitioning back into community. So we need to just do as much as possible to make sure that people are supported in that transition. Chef Hill, are there many other programs across the country similar to yours? In the Michigan Department of Corrections, we have 11 throughout the state. Uh, so, I mean, in terms of other states and, and you know their, uh, their facilities, I'm not sure. I just know that we have 11 mm-hmm. total. It used to be 14, but through closing of some facilities, we're now down to 11. And do you go around and lecture 
to other places? I mean, are people reaching out? I mean, now they will. But are, have folks over the years been reaching out to you about how to set these programs up? Yes, some of those have. But the lecture part, I'm not, uh, I don't know. How, that's, that's really funny there. Uh, no, no one has ever asked me to do that. Uh, but some uh, have asked me how the program started and how we rewrote the curriculum. I'm so humbled that uh, people would even think to do stuff like this and this and, you know, talk about the program. I'm like, there's a whole bunch of things that, and people that you could talk to besides me because I'm just a cook at the end of the day, really. Can you tell us what push means? Pray until something happens. And, and it's always, uh, I mean, it's just, it just makes sense. You know, I, I believe that if, if something is worth having, it's worth praying for. Everybody has something that they look forward to or that they want. And so I just always say push, you know, just pray until something, something is going to happen. You know, it may not be the way that you want it sometimes, but it's going to happen if you continue to, you know, put that out there. And uh, you also have to believe in the higher being. But I, I think if you're praying, obviously you believe that there's something out there where you wouldn't be doing that. So I just continue to pray that, you know, those guys get a better chance, second opportunity, because everybody deserves a second chance. And so we push that a lot. Mm-hmm. Got a few irons in the fire myself there. I think I need a second chance for a few things. And so I continue to pray about them. So, How many men have gone through your program? I can't. It's thousands. Like, because I've been there for 33 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and everybody that goes through, they're not going to be a chef. You know, I mean, that's, that's uh, definitely a given. I mean, you know, you just, a lot are there for the food. Uh, because, I mean, there's no other way to say it, but the food is amazing. It is. I mean, we pump out a lot of food out of that. It's it's like this size right here. Two sides, you know, cold side and the hot side. So, but we pump out a lot of food. And, and so we sell tickets every other Thursday. We do about 125 covers. For $7, you get appetizer, salad, entree, dinner roll, dessert, and beverage. And sometimes there's some amused bushes we throw in. And, and then during the summertime when we got the garden is, and it's booming, there's so much produce. So we just do more food. So for that $7, you make it, you know, seven, eight, ten courses. And folks in the community can buy those tickets? In the uh, facility. Okay. The, the employees, the wardens, secretaries, uh, the uh, maintenance staff, okay. health services, and we do about 20, 30, 40. We do 45 or so students, and the rest are the workers, mm-hmm. uh, employees. Yeah. So you said not everyone who goes through the program is meant to become a, a cook or a chef, but no. you have had some notable alums from your program. Yes, ma'am. And uh, you focus on some of them in the documentary. Desiree, can you tell us about some of the folks who graduated from Chef Hill's program? Yep. So in the documentary, um, you have an opportunity to intimately know three individuals, um, Brad, Chef Dink, and Chef Ernest. Um, Chef Ernest, as I understand it, he is working professionally in a food kitchen right now um, in leadership. And Chef Dink, he took the entrepreneurial path and he opened his own restaurant 
the Green Mile Grill in Detroit. I've had their food and it's great. <laughs> and then Chef Brad, who is still incarcerated, said that he intends to get back into food service or cooking once he is released in 2024. Chef Dink seems like he was born to be a famous chef. <laughs> he is so swagged out. <laughs> but, you know, he is such a, is such a good person. I mean, you know, everybody do some things. He did some things and he got caught. He, he did his time. He learned a, a craft, and he is working on it all the time to make it to make it better. And so I always say that you know he he went from prisoner to proprietor because of what he the the route that he chose, mm-hmm. and and I think it's good for him because it also keeps him grounded because you gotta want to be in food service to be in food service you you, you can't fake that. And so he does a good job at at doing his job. And I, I'm I'm extremely proud of what he's accomplished. You know, he has a restaurant and a food truck. That's that's heavy duty. So the documentary premiered last night as part of Doc NYC mm-hmm. and you had I, I was so surprised how many people from the film were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was always the intention that for this showing and any others we have that everyone from the film who we see on screen is able to be present um, just because there are follow-up questions and then overall should be framing their own experience from their own mouth. Um, (laughs) So having everyone there also just to see the hard work that they put in because there's a lot of appreciation for, you know, the producers and director team and all of that, but the real stars, of course, are... Chef Hill and the students that allowed us into their space and to share their story with us. Mm-hmm. And their families. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, yes, the families as well, because when you think about incarceration, families get incarcerated as well, because they are the support people who are there for the individuals as well. Mm-hmm. Chef Hill, did you see the film for the first time last night? That was my first time. <gasps> I, I stayed away from it, and uh, it was, uh, man. From, from the time that people started to talk about it was going to be released, people would say, man, so how, how is it? I can't wait to see it. And I was like, well, I'm, you know, they won't let me watch it. And it's like, oh, I was like, no, I just, I didn't want to see it until it was, you know, in its entirety. It was amazing to me to see me there is the part that is, uh, is unbelievable. I wish my focus was around to see that because that's what they did. Or that's what we did growing up. So it was it was nice. One of the most shocking and saddest parts of the film for me was to learn that when the men are paroled, that they can't have any contact with you. So you, you have been a lifeline for these men for as long as they go through that program. And then once they're released, they can't talk to you. I was so confused and upset to learn that. And... Everyone in the film talked about it to mm-hmm. some extent, but can you explain that a little bit more to folks who are like, what are, you, what are you talking about exactly? Yeah, so it's, I can't remember actually right now if it's like the over-familiarity or familiarity. familiarity yeah. Yeah, and so there's a distance that you have to keep from people who are still inside of the institution until you're off paper, which is you're off parole. From what I also understand, it's written in a way that it might be vague, so people just kind of err on the side of caution to not have any 
violations that could cause them to go back inside. That might be something to look at to see if if possibly the language could be rewritten to be more to have more clarity so that it, it's just clear what what decisions can be made because if there is an opportunity for people to still have contact with Chef Hill or anyone else that was really instrumental in their growth and development and would be a lifeline once they transition back home because that's a hard transition, um, that would be something that should be considered. And that's such a vulnerable time for them and their families for them to have no contact with you, especially in a professional capacity. They're interviewing for jobs, they're working in professional kitchens for the first time, and can't even so much as send you an email. No, it's uh, and it depends on how much time that you had left. When you get out, you still have to probation or, or, or you know, before you're really totally off. So sometimes, like, like Ernest, when he got out, he still had four years. He was on tether, and he still had, you know, some more time to, to walk down. So I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't talk to him or, or have any contact with him. And can you explain what tether means? The tether where, you know, you they put that ankle bracelet on and it allows them to keep track of where you are and, and where you're supposed to be at the time that you're supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a electronical handcuff. Mm-hmm. So, Would you rewrite that rule if you could about them being allowed to reach out to you? Yeah, because, I mean, I think it sh- you should be able to because, you know, like, like Ernest, Chef Ernest said the other night, uh, they've been locked up for so long. And you, you grow accustomed to being with this person every day because of what you're doing in, in the, right, the right way. And so you, you grow accustomed to that. And then all of a sudden you look up and, and you're out. And if you continue to follow on that path, you still want that information to come from the person who has been feeding you that information. You know, you're like, mm, I still got two years to do on on paper, so you can't, you know, you can't talk to them. Either you're gonna mess up or you're not. You know, you know the consequences, so you're not gonna do anything that's crazy, but I just don't think verbally is, you know, such a bad deal. It seems unusually cruel. Uh, As does much about the well, Chef Dean is the same way. He, Mm -hmm. you know, he was trying to set up his business, and there was a lot of questions that he had in terms of inspections and 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 things that need to be you know in line before you even start the restaurant. But he couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't talk to him. Uh, So he he talked to Chef Rigato. Their bond is is good too. Uh, but as soon as he got off parole, you know, he called me. He's like, man, I'm, so, chef, I'm done, man. I, you know, I need you to, you know, tell me about how we get this going. And, you know, it's just a part of uh, correctional life. You've been involved in that life for so long now. I would imagine you could write an entire book about how you would change the system. I hope you're listening out there, Mark Curley and Chick. <laughs> We've been talking about that. For, you know, at, we actually came here two years ago, to meet with a literacy uh, agent. So it's in the works, mm-hmm. but we just got to restructure. You know, I really want to do the complete traditional cookbook. And they want to do more of a memoir with some recipes in there. 
But just for folks who've had no exposure to incarceration or what the prison system is like, I mean, it's, it's well documented today just how awful and unfair the system is. But what are some things you would change? I mean, of familiarity, I think that could be smoothed out some. We used to not be able to keep track of them. And then six, seven years ago, somebody said, you know, we should, we should keep track of those guys. <laughs> like we've been saying that for 20 years. So now we keep track of them. So there's a lot more out there that we didn't track and we, we don't know what they did. And there's a lot of them out there that's doing food service stuff. We just couldn't talk to them at that time. So it's just different. Corrections is different. One thing that we see on screen, Brad talks very openly about his challenges with substance use. I have family members who have their own challenges with that and are incarcerated as well. And it just seems like there needs to also be a better and a different response because that's a real sickness that people live with and deal with. And sometimes incarceration is the response to it. But Brad says with his own mouth, that that is not, it's not the environment to, for someone to get help, um, the help that they really need. So there's a lot to say about the carceral system, but just in relation to the film, I want to lift that up because Brad spoke to that and he, you know, he's, he's still inside, but he was very candid about his challenges with substance use. Mm -hmm. Chef, what would you like people to come away with after seeing the documentary? I just want them to see or, or at least feel like these guys deserve another chance you know and I, I say it all the time that that television has messed it up for prison because all you see is playing cards and you know lifting weights and basketball and you know fighting and but there's so much more in in the in the department in terms of education different uh trades and things like that that you never hear about because you know the breaking news is Five inmates was fighting over on the south side of the campus, and it's more than that. To, to, so I want them to come away with the fact that they see what they do in, in my class because all the programs are structured the same way. It's just different content. And so, but in, in mine, you see the food. So I want them to, to come away with the fact that they went in to learn this trade, to prepare food properly, make sure that the Bacterias and everything is, you know, check. We don't want to kill nobody. No, nope, food safety. No, you know, food safety is at the highest level. And they obtained it. And so they'll get a chance to see the, the, the film and go, you know, we hear about all this stuff that go on, but we never hear about or we never see this. And so they will have a different perspective when they see it. I worked there all these years and I had a different perspective myself when I seen it yesterday because I was so amazed that, you know, we just talk all the time about it. And even though I see it in real life in the classroom, it was different than yesterday when I seen the film because then it brought back to me that I remember talking to that guy about that. And I remember, I remember when this happened and it's just, it was so, it was just unreal to see me up there for the right reasons. Desiree, how about you? What do you hope the takeaway is? Mm, I have a few. Um, <laughs> well, first, when there are um, 
there's dialogue going on about the criminal justice system and its issues and all of that. There's this temptation to ask people to choose a side of you have to look at it this way or you have to look at it this way of seeing everything is all bad or all good. And I hope the film lets you understand that that is not true. The approach to dealing with a lot of issues, but talking about the criminal justice system in particular, is it's dynamic and there are people like Chef Hill who are working inside to really make a difference, as well as people who are outside. Um, so I don't want that to be lost. Like it's a, it's a dynamic effort and that needs to be respected and appreciated. Mm-hmm. I also just can't help but think what if there were more community-based programs like Chef Hills on the outside that caught people like young kids as they were deciding what to do in their next steps in life? Because that could be a difference in someone's trajectory where maybe they would never even end up on the inside, just investing more resources in community. I just hope that the film leaves people with a lot of questions, with the biggest and best question being, what can they do themselves to make a difference. Like Chef Hill, everyone's difference is going to look different. Just what what can they do? And then getting activated around that. Mm-hmm. Chef Hill, we have a lot of folks who listen to the show who work in the food world. And I would I, I asked you this question last night and you, you weren't sure what the answer was, but I, I would love to know how the folks out there could help you and your program. I mean, we've had uh, people who have donated cookbooks, some things like we're not allowed to accept because somebody might be incarcerated in your family that you work in this food business and you was giving us this food and over familiarity. So there's some channels that you have to go through to be able to do some things. All I can say is that, you know, if they reach out to me email wise, we could kind of walk through some things and see if it's right for us. Uh, so we won't get on the other side of that mm-hmm. over familiarity. That's, that's the best I got is to just reach out and we'll see if what you want to do works for both parties. Are you looking forward to retiring or is it going to be hard for you to walk away from this? I don't feel like I'm like it's time. I drive an hour to work. So 134 mm-hmm. miles round trip times five days. I'm, I'm 50 plus a year, thousand, but it's not a bad drive. And it's, it's basically like, like from me to you, except that's 67 miles. It's a straight shot. So it's not bad. You know, in, in, a, in the fall, it's deer season. Started Tuesday. They'll be shooting at the deer. Can't be mad at the deer for running across the street. You just got to watch out for them. And when it's snowing, you know, the trucks are out. By the time I get out in the morning, plowed. By the time I get off, plowed. It's not a bad drive. And I like my job. I just want them guys to be able to, like in Chef Davis, you know, he, 35 years. He almost lost his mind yesterday in New York. (laughs) Right, he had received a life life sentence. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So so he got a chance to live some stuff yesterday and, and experience some stuff that, one, he had never did before, and two, he would have never gotten a chance to do uh, ever. You know, the food is food is strong. You know, it's it's the ultimate dot connector. Mm-hmm. So now he's here in New York City. 
I love that your answer is to talk about someone else other than yourself, <laughs> Chef Hill. You mentioned that there might be some books in your future, but I, I can't see you just spending your time on the couch reti- in retirement. Well, you know, that couch is draining. Uh, I try to let it drain me sometimes because it feels so good. I don't see me sitting around either. You know, if something comes up, Mark, uh, <laughs> you know, get this book done and we'll see what happens. And Desiree, how about you? This, is this your first documentary that you've ever produced? It is. It is. Do you see more in your future? I certainly hope so. Um, my background is in communications, so this is a evolution of that. But it's, it's just been a really enjoyable experience to kind of work on expressing something visually in the process and editing and commentary and everything that goes into the, the final product. And then also in the process, being able to work with so many different people and meet so many different people. I I certainly hope this is not the last film project that I have the opportunity to work on. And Desiree, I would be remiss if I did not talk about your family. (laughs) You have a remarkable mom, Chef Tommy Vinson, who has Mm -hmm. been on Radio Cherry Bomb before. You come from a family that is very much about family and faith and food. What was it like growing up in that family? And football, I should add, the the fourth (laughs) F is football in your family. Yeah. I mean, it's a wild bunch. Uh, My mom and my dad are both very strong and absolute individuals, like in their visions of what they want for their lives and what they want for their families. Sometimes that's been a lot of pressure. But as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate just the standard that they've set for, you know, what we should be expecting for ourselves and what we do in life. They were at the premiere last night and it felt really special. Um, the joke about my dad is that he, he he doesn't always know like what's going on because he's just like doing a million things. So he thought I was in a play, <laughs> even though I, I've been talking to him about this. He thought I was in a play. So afterward, <laughs> someone told me that. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that, But I'm glad they were there. He had nothing but great things to say about um, Chef Hill and uh, Chef Dink and Chef Ernest and he just was expressing so much pride for me being a part of it, but also for the team that we spent the time and resources bringing such an important story like Chef Hill's, you know, to the forefront for people to see. But you really do have a remarkable family. Your mom has done so much to help female chefs in this industry, but also women who are stuck in the cycle of domestic violence. Yeah, yeah. They've been an example to me for a great deal of things. And I, I can't believe I even forgot to say this, but... My interest in food at all is just because I come from a legacy of a lot of people who cook. You know, maybe not always having the formal training of culinary school. My mom went to culinary school, but even before that, my grandmothers and my grandfather, all really, really excellent cooks, like, will throw you down. (laughs) And I just feel so grateful that, you know, Sheffield talked about his family and just, like, things felt good. They felt right. When my family gets together around a meal, you know, we're all cooking something and contributing a dish. That's like one of my favorite times of year, like where everything does feel right. It feels great to be in community together, just sharing a meal together. Chef Hill, before I let you go, I I feel like I still haven't scratched the surface of who you are. The leadership you show in the film in Cold Water Kitchen is remarkable. And I don't know if you think of yourself as a leader or your leadership skills are something you work on, but I'm so curious, were you a natural born leader? <laughs> no, I, mm-mm. I mean, 
I don't know. I just, it's just about the food. And the food led me to, to where I'm at. Uh, I never think about things like that. Uh, you, you do what you do. And if you do it right, you know, I guess, you know, they'll follow you. I never thought about that. You know, <clears throat> I just go to work and, you know, try to get those guys prepared and ready to get out there and do some things. So I would like to say that Chef Hill is very humble. I, and that is one of the most endearing qualities about him. Um, so I don't ever want to push him to be something that he's not. But since he's not going to say the things, I'm going to say the things. Chef Hill is absolutely a leader because it, it's not a small task to be able to show up physically and mentally and emotionally and day after day with this drive, with the hardships of incarceration and being in that every day, to be a teacher, to be a guide, to be a resource, to be a mentor, and doing it with so much compassion and so much empathy and meeting people where they are individually, that is absolute leadership. Maybe you would call it servant leadership, but that is absolutely leadership. We, we lead in different ways in different capacities and in the spaces that we're in. Um, leadership doesn't just look like being the governor <laughs> or something like that. But that is absolutely leadership. And being humble in leadership is important. I think that a lot of our leaders could stand to be that way. So I'm going to let that ride. But it is absolutely leadership. And I'm grateful that he continues to make the decisions that he makes every day to show up the way that he does. When's the film coming out? So we're premiering this week at Doc NYC with our first screening last night. There's another today at 5.15 p.m. And then it'll be available online until November 27th. After that, um, the best way to find out what's going on is to visit our website, which is www.coldwaterkitchen.film and subscribe to our email list where you can hear about upcoming festival plans. Really looking forward to April with the Detroit Free Press Film Festival where we'll hopefully have well, I know we'll have a screening, but then also hopefully have be able to taste the food of Chef Hill and um, some of the other chefs on screen. So looking forward to that. But any plans that we have, that will be the first place that people can find out about it to join our email list. So tell me again, you can watch it online through the 27th? Yep. You so said? you would okay. visit the Doc NYC festival website okay and you can buy an online pass i believe for 12 dollars, and screen it you know from your phone or on your computer worth every dime mm -hmm. and then some mm -hmm. thanksgiving is right around the corner you do a thanksgiving dinner and you ask folks was it a thanksgiving dinner it's a thanksgiving every we would do uh thanksgiving for the class this is basically for the students and it's everything that you've eaten growing up some guys haven't eaten thanksgiving meals in Man, decades, you know, and, and and then for those who were there last year and got incarcerated, so this Thanksgiving they won't be there. So we do a meal and everything that you've had. There's no recipes. We just go in the kitchen and said, yeah, my mom used to make this. And, you know, I remember how it tastes. And so we would recreate it. And so then about 1.30, it's time to eat, connect all the tables, and everybody sits around the table and the first thing we do is say, okay, let's start here and tell, you know, give us one thing that you're thankful for. And it takes about, it takes about 20 minutes because to go around the whole room. 
but you get a chance to feel what they feel. Some people say, well, I'm thankful for Chef Hill because, you know, if he wouldn't have did this. But that was not why we want you to say what you're thankful for. We just, you know, what makes you feel good. And a lot of people say, well, this, you know, I'm thankful for my family, you know, thankful for the class. And so then, and then we eat. Uh, and it's a great meal because everybody has something to put into it. And then they feel like, man, my mama must be in the kitchen because this, this tastes just like she, you know, <laughs> we get a lot of those. So, yeah. Chef Hill, what are you thankful for this year? I am thankful for the chance to, for this to come to fruition. Four years is a long time. We, we do know that sometimes it takes more than four years. But I'm thankful that it, it, you know, it's getting ready to be out there. I'm thankful for Mark and Brian. You know, I'm thankful for my friend here, Desiree. The calming sense <laughs> um, that she has brought to it. I'm just thankful that we can get these guys ready, you know, so they can get out there. They're missing a lot. I'm out there every day, and I'm, and I'm missing tons. So just imagine how it is for them. So I'm thankful that they're, they're going to get a second. Every, everybody that's there is not going to be there, you know, forever. So I'm thankful that they'll get a chance to get out and, and experience some of this. Desiree, how about you? I'm thankful for a lot, but for the sake of naming one thing, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm thankful for food. Um, food as a great convener. It brought me to this film team, which has been a really remarkable experience in my life. Uh, it brought me to Chef Hill and to the chefs that we meet on the screen. Right. Well, and it brought us here because Cherry Bomb. <laughs> yeah, Right, Chef Hill, welcome to the Bomb Squad. You're, <laughs> you're an honorary male member of the Bomb Squad <laughs> now. Well, I'm certainly thankful for you both. I mean, you've put a beautiful thing into the world, and uh, we could use more humans like you too. So thank <laughs> That's you. That's so nice. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much to Chef Jimmy Lee Hill and producer Desiree Vincent Levy for joining me. As Desiree mentioned, you can watch Cold Water Kitchen now through November 27th via docnyc.net. You can also go to coldwaterkitchen.film to learn more and sign up for their email. We'll share all of these links in our show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Radio Cherry Bomb is a production of Cherry Bomb Magazine. Our theme song is by the band Cha La La. Thanks to Joseph Hazen, studio engineer for Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center, and to our assistant producer, Jenna Sadu. Wishing you and your loved ones a happy Thanksgiving. And please know, I'm thankful for all of you. You're the bomb. <laughs>